Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with him. He will wash you, he will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? Welcome to the Christmas edition of Moment of Truth. All month long, we are celebrating the birth of our Savior. Today, we look at Christmas from the perspective of Jesus as seen in Hebrews 10. Before we begin today's sermon, we want to invite you to Christmas at Central on December 24th, Christmas Eve at 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock p.m. We will have a candlelight service as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. This is a time to turn the focus away from ourselves and to focus on thanking God for sending Jesus, God's only Son. Let's turn to Hebrews 10 and listen in now for your moment of truth. So here's the perspective that I give you. Maybe you're in the night before Christmas of your life. This is the perspective. If you're struggling, Jesus has come. And he has fulfilled the shadow. He doesn't just cover it. He comes to fulfill it and take away sin. And it is a wonderful life if you know that to be true personally for you. You need to know that no amount of good deeds, no amount of being a a good enough person can make you right before God. I love what Steve Lawson said. He said, you can no more reach God through your good works than you can flap your arms and make it to heaven. Your good works are not good enough. It is a shadow. There's no substance to it. Knowing the difference between religion and Christianity, that's what we're talking about. See, religion is man's attempt to reach up to God. But Christianity is God's reaching down to man, And he does that in the person of Jesus Christ when Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Good application. God doesn't want your goat. All right? God, you can keep your bull. He doesn't want it. Okay? He doesn't want your works. You don't have to kill two doves to be made right. Jesus has come into the world. He has fulfilled the shadow. Leave the shadow behind. And when you do that, it's a wonderful life. The freedom of being done with empty religion. Second reason, reason number two. So there's a, uh, there's a first reason. It's, it's this idea that Jesus has fulfilled 
the shadow. But the second reason Jesus came, and we hear it from his own lips starting in verse 5, is to follow the will of the Father. Jesus came to follow the will of God the Father. All right, look in verse uh, 5. Do you see this here? Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Who's the me? A body you've prepared for me. Who's the me? Right, Jesus. Christmas sermon. Good guess. Me. It's Jesus, right? Look at verse 5 through 8. Three times in this section, you have the word will. I've come to do your will, O God. Verse 7. Verse 9, if you look there, I've come to do your will. Verse 10, you see it again, the word will. By this will. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ has perfectly accomplished the will of God by coming to earth and doing all that the Father sent him to do. That's the Christmas perspective on point number two that you need. Now, this is a theme all over Scripture, isn't it? Let me give you a few verses. Write these down. You can use them in your devotional later this week. John 6.38. Write that one down. John 6.38 says, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 4.34 says, My food, and this is Jesus talking, my food is to do what? The will of him who sent me. What did he pray in Gethsemane? Lord, if there's any way to take this cup from me, nevertheless, what? Not my, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Jesus was radically focused on doing the will of God. He said, this is my food. This is the reason that I was sent. It was to do God's will. And I think this touches on our imputed righteousness, our alien righteousness, as the reformers called it. It's that Jesus has all the righteousness where man could not fulfill the will of God. Jesus fully fulfilled it. He obeyed in every possible way. Open in your Bibles. Turn to Isaiah chapter, let's go to 50. Isaiah chapter 50 this morning. This is an incredible passage, another great Christmas passage. You can't see the birth of Christ without seeing the death of Christ, can you? He, uh, he came for this very reason. Isaiah 50. Let's go to, um, boy, let's do verse, let's start in verse 5. Verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. Just hold on. Let's not move on. I was not rebellious. Now, the idea that he opened my ear, we see it again in Psalm 40. This passage, by the way, is a direct quotation from Psalm 40. It's putting the words of Psalm 40 into the mouth of Jesus. It's a commentary on Jesus Christ himself. But uh, it's here again. Same phrase. He opened my ears. He opened my ears. Uh, it's the idea that, that God created this body, and he literally, it's a li- little bit vivid in the Hebrew, he formed, he dug out ears so that I could obey and hear, hear his voice and obey him. He gave me a human body. He dug out those ears, and the purpose of digging out those ears and creating it and crafting it, it pictures God the Father getting down in the dirt and forming this. It pictures God the Father... It, forming this body for Jesus out of clay, digging them out so that he could hear the commands of the Father. Look at verse 5 again. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I was not rebellious. 
was not rebellious. Jesus came and he did all that the Father told him to do. Now, it gets pretty extreme because God asks him to do some hard things. Look there. I I turn not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. When Jesus was crucified, he was whipped. He was beaten. They ripped out his beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and from spitting. Jesus was spat on. Jesus was disgraced. God asked him to do some hard things for you and me. To bear the weight of sin. To bear the punishment of sin. And he said, I didn't, I didn't run from it. Just, just ponder that for a second. I did it perfectly. Even though it was hard. That is the theme of Scripture. That God sent His Son and He accomplished for us what we were unwilling and unable to do. This was Jesus' pattern from all eternity. Turn back to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, what we see is the quotation from Psalm 40, verses 6-8. through 8, And uh, it's that idea that Jesus was pre-existent. Pre-existent. Jesus Christ has a conversation right on the edge of eternity. And he says, a body you have made me. Jehovah's Witnesses hate this passage. It shows the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. It shows, as theologians put it, that Jesus Christ is co-existent, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. He did not begin in Bethlehem. He was eternal from eternity. But this was the moment when Jesus took on a new nature. He took on the nature of humanity. He became the God-man, as theologians call it. A body you have prepared for me. He took on humanity. Now, don't miss this. Jesus was truly human, and the reason he had to be truly human is that he had to die for sin. Jesus had a human mother, but he had no human father. God prepared a body without the sin of Adam, and Jesus took on the nature of humanity. To have forgiveness, there had to be a God-man. Only a man can die, and man must pay the price for sin, but only God can pay that price. Look at this quote from Adrian Rogers. I, I love Adrian Rogers. It says this, The babe of Bethlehem was the earthly child of, an, of a heavenly father and the heavenly child of an earthly mother. The child was older than his mother, but the same age as his father. He was fully God. As much as God as though he was not man at all, and as much as man as, he was, as though he was not God at all. He was not at all God and no man. He was not all man and no God. He was not half man and half God. He was fully God. Look at the main idea of following here. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. That's not what God wanted from Jesus. God did not want him to come down and make another offering uh, of a bull or a goat. That's not what he wanted. Verse 7, what did he want? Behold, I've come to do your will. There's the offering. I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. What is that? The scroll of the book. 
That is most likely a reference to the entire Old Testament, to all the prophets, all the way from Moses to the last book in the Old Testament. God's will for Jesus was to do his word, the prophesied salvation of his people. And it starts all the way at the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, do you remember the proto-gospel that was given? It, it, it was one day, one day through Eve, through the seed of the woman, not the man, through the seed of the woman, there would come this Messiah who would come and, and what would he do to the serpent's head? He would crush it under his foot. The serpent would bruise his heel, but the serpent would be crushed. The serpent would be crushed. Then we see it again in Genesis 12. Abraham, God says that through, through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. We see it again in Micah. We see it again in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. He says that there's coming a new covenant. And we see that fulfilled at the Last Supper when Jesus says, this is the cup which represents my blood, which represents the new covenant. A lot of prophecies. Best of all, Isaiah 53, verse 6. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The idea is that Jesus Christ came, and he did all that the Father commanded him to do. He offered himself up as a living sacrifice. He died on that cross for our sins. There's a third and final reason Jesus came. Write this one down. Third and final reason. Jesus came to forgive all who believe. Now this is marvelous if you get this. In verse 10, it says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus came into the world and he offered himself as God's perfect sacrifice for sin to forgive. One time. How many offerings? Just one. How many times did Jesus need to die for sin? Just once. Uh, for how many sins? For all sins. For how many people? For all who would believe. All who would put their faith in him. How long is it good for? All time. You know what the, the word all in the Greek means? All. It's good for all time, for all people, for all sin. One sacrifice. And notice he doesn't leave it at that. He gives us an illustration. I love a, a, a preacher who will illustrate the text. And here in this sermon, look at verse 11 at the illustration. Every priest daily, right? He stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Very fascinating. In the Old Testament, the priest was not allowed to sit down. In fact, it was against the law to have chairs, to have uh, any other instruments, chairs, or, or things in the tabernacle that weren't supposed to be there. And so the priest was never allowed to sit down. In fact, as we look in 1 Samuel and we see the example of Eli, uh, 
the commentary on his life is that he was an evil priest. He was the father of Hophni and Phinehas, and uh, he wasn't a good father. But the text kind of lets us know he's a bad priest. How does it do that? What was he doing when he hears about their death? He was sitting. He was sitting down. He was sitting. Now, why does a priest never sit down? Well, it's, it's largely symbolic. It's the idea that a priest's work is never done. There's always more sin to be sacrificing for. There's always more work to be done. And there were, there were all these cycles, and priests would always be at the ready, ready to serve and ready to give offering for sin. And people just kept coming back. Look at verse 12. Notice the difference. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down. Friends, you need to understand this this morning, and this is, this is your Christmas message, all right? This is your Christmas perspective that you need to take away this morning. If, if you took this away, it would change everything in your life. You, you would stop caring about the small things and the things that, that trouble you in this season. You would be saying, it's a wonderful life because my sin, past, present, and future, doesn't require another bull. It doesn't require another goat. It doesn't require another sacrifice. Jesus Christ himself has said, it is finished and it's done. No more required. You are accepted by God. It gets better. Verse 13. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those being sanctified. Do you get what he's saying? When God looks at you, you who have believed on Christ, he doesn't look at you with regret. He doesn't look at you and say, boy, if I knew these people were going to be such knuckleheads, I wouldn't have done this whole cross thing, right? I wouldn't have come for them. If they, if they were going to be like this, he doesn't look at you and have a change of heart. The way God looks at you, he looks at you as if you're perfected. He sees you through the lenses of his perfect son. He sees you perfect for all time. Now, we struggle with that, don't we? You know why we struggle with that? Because we've been taught the tabernacle system and we're constantly wanting to bring back an offering or, or constantly wanting to bring something to appease our God and we're stuck at the altar and God comes and he says, not needed, not allowed, not allowed. You may bring no other offering. Jesus has done it. And if you believe, if you've trusted on my son, you are seen as perfect in my sight. I um. I tried to think of the absurdity this week of offering something to God for forgiveness of sins. Not too long ago. I guess it's been a couple of months. Selah comes to me. She says, Daddy, I've got a gift for you. And I said, oh, great, sweetheart. What is it? She comes and he says, it's your iPad. And I said, oh, thank you. Thank you, sweetheart. It was mine. I knew where it was at. But thank you. You are precious. Get out of here, kid. You're, you're, you're adorable. Just adorable. It was, it was precious. The absurdity. It's like we try to offer God something when he is the owner of all things. Everything, he, he, everything that it is, he has and he owns. And we cannot offer him anything except the offering that he has provided in his son. 
We have nothing to offer. Jesus has made the only sacrifice. Look at the effects in verse 15. And we'll be done. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. He says, you will change. You will. Not because I require another sacrifice, but because I give you a new heart. That's why for the Christian, if there's no change, there's something strange. The the Christian does change, but it's because this Ezekiel 36 moment has happened where God has taken the heart of stone out and he's given a heart of flesh that beats for God. There's There's been a heart surgery that's taken place. In verse 18, it's beautiful. It says, where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. It's saying the shop is closed. There is nothing you can bring. There's nothing you can lay down on the altar. God says it is finished. It is paid for. And you may come back and say, yeah, but I sinned really bad this week. And God says, Jesus has paid the price of that sin 2,000 years ago at the cross. We're done here. Yeah, but it was, it was a really bad sin. That's been paid for too. It was a lot of sin. That's been paid for too. We're finished. Don't bring anything. Don't put anything on my altar. That altar is done. Now, what would it look like for us to apply this, to receive that? Let's, let's end with a little application. Three things, just a few things. You might write these down. First, there are some people today who are uh, doing and believing that certain things, of certain deeds would take away their sin. That empty religion would take away sin. Some of you are here and perhaps you're not truly converted and you're living this way. You're thinking, if I'm just a good person, if I just go to church, or if I don't do those things and I don't drink and I don't go to movies or whatever it is, I'll be okay. But this text reminds us that trusting in anything except the blood of Jesus Christ is a false hope. You're trusting in a shadow. You're putting all all your faith in a, a, a bill of goods that has no power to save you, no ability to remove sin. And what you need this morning, dear friend, is to trust that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for sins. You cannot obey God's law, but Jesus has fully and perfectly obeyed God's law, and God only accepts his sacrifice for sins. So to you, to you who are here today, and you say, that's me. I'm just trying to be a good person, but I'm not truly converted. I'm not truly a Christian. I I would beg with you today, As an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I would plead with you, why not accept the gospel today? Why not turn from your sin today and turn to a Lord and Savior who would save you and he would cast away all your sins as far as the east is from the west? He would accept you. He would give you that change of life and that change of course. Why not today? Second application. I think to believers, this is a guard against moralism. It's that you and I would try to build a ladder to heaven and we would try to trust in a shadow ladder that has no substance to climb on. 
Any rule followers here today? Any rule followers? A few of you that follow the rules? I think some of us struggle with that. We find our identity in our works, and this passage comes and says, just rest in the fulfilling and the following and the forgiving of your Savior. Don't think that God is pleased with you because you're not doing something or you are doing something. That's not salvation. God comes and says, get your offering off my altar. No more sacrifices. Just trust that Jesus has paid, us, paid it all. I think there's an element of rejoicing in that. There's an element of freedom in that. Final application that I really love about this passage. Anybody feel guilty over their past? Anybody feel the guilt of the weight of sin in your life? This passage comes and says, it's not, uh, maybe there's a voice in your life that's saying, God doesn't accept me, or, or I'm inadequate before God. This passage comes and gives us our perspective on Christmas that Jesus has come to offer full pardon for all sins, for all time, forever. And it gives us the assurance and the hope of salvation. And when Satan comes and when he accuses us, it puts steel in our spine. It gives us strength to stand. And, and we point to the cross and say, no, the sacrifice has been made. And, and the accuser comes and he accuses us of sin. And it's true, we are guilty before God, but his son has taken away our guilt. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response. So he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? We'd also like to meet you in person. Worship with us at 9 or 11 a.m. every Sunday at Central Church. If you're unable to attend in person, we also have services streaming live where you can engage and chat with other believers throughout the service. Visit centralchurch.com slash live to find out more. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.